Acts chapter 12, verse 25. Luke says it this way. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. All right. Well, I'm excited about our passage this morning. Uh, and, and in some ways, it was appropriate that we were able to have Chris and his wife, Vanessa, up here. Um, because today, we're, we're thinking about the topic of mission. Uh, and we're thinking about uh, how it is that the mission of God moves forward. Uh, mission is kind of a buzzword in our culture today, right? Every organization has a mission statement. Uh, and, you know, we talk about the mission statement all the time, and then we have values that go on top of that, and that, that's just kind of the way it goes. Um, but if you think about the U.S. military, right, the U.S. military has a mission, and sometimes part of that mission, part of fulfilling the mission means going, right? It means leaving where you are, and, and, and in this case, a, a deployment. Uh, but it, it means picking up from wherever you normally uh, are and, and doing something else because the mission calls for it, right? The mission demands it. And, and we see the exact same kind of thing in the scriptures. Uh, as we think about the mission of God moving forward, you know, we, we've been talking about this idea of mission all throughout Acts. Uh, and, and I mentioned last week that uh, you can kind of divide the book of Acts in two, that chapters one through 12 is kind of part one and it focuses largely on the Jerusalem church. Uh, but part two begins here with chapter 13 uh, and, and it's, it's a total shift, right? Now we're moving out into the Roman Empire, we're moving into the world of the Gentiles and uh, we're moving away from, from Peter as our primary uh, person of focus onto the apostle Paul. Uh, and over the next several chapters, we're gonna see three different Journeys that Paul goes on. This first one, he goes uh, with Barnabas, who, who we're well familiar with by this point. 
Uh, and, and the reality uh, of Paul and Barnabas being sent out, right, is that uh, the Holy Spirit revealed and, and the believers realized that in order to be obedient to the Great Commission, okay, in order to be obedient to what Jesus had called his followers to do, they were going to need to leave. They were going to need to go out in order to further the mission. And so this morning, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at our text. We're going to think about that idea of the mission going out. And, and I want us to see uh, three things that are required in order for God's mission to go out and to continue. And we're going to see all three of these in our text. Uh, we need churches who will send we need Christians who will contend, and we need people who will go, okay? We need each of those three things. So let's start with churches need to send, okay? Churches need to send. Um, I've been pastoring uh, now at this church for, for eight and a half years, and I've, I've been on staff and in ministry at churches for, for longer than that. Um, and then I grew up in a ministry family also. So I've been, I've been in and around church ministry, vocational Christian ministry, really my whole life. Uh, and so I've, I've seen it from a lot of angles, um, and, and I'm, I'm familiar with um, what I would say are, are some of the blessings of that and, and the ways that, that God is very kind and good. But I'm also aware of some of the dangers and the temptations that come along with ministry, and there are many. Uh, but I think one of the greatest and one of the ones I think, I think Christians are probably most blind to today, uh, and more specifically pastors, I don't just mean Christians, I mean pastors, uh, and I'm, I'm one so I can talk about this, um, it is the idea that my church or my ministry automatically equals God's will. In, in other words, whatever it is we're doing, okay, so if we're here, we're here at Sojourn, whatever Sojourn's doing or whatever I'm doing as a pastor or whatever our elder team is doing or fill in the blank with your ministry, whatever we're doing because of the fact that we're Christians and because of the fact that we're, we're trying to do what God wants us to do, that just automatically means we're doing what God wants us to do. And, and look, on the one hand, that, I think that makes some sense to us, right? Because if, if you're a church or you're a Christian organization, a Christian ministry, uh, hopefully you are trying to do what God wants you to do, right? Hopefully that's kind of what's going on. Uh, and you're reading the scriptures and you're trying to figure out what it is that God wants you to do. You're, you're praying and you're seeking the Lord. And, and so I, I think usually, hopefully, it's a, it's a somewhat safe assumption that whatever the church is doing, that, that is what God wants us to do. Um, but it's not automatic, right? Like all of us have I think we've lived enough, and maybe you've even been in churches where you've experienced firsthand. It's not automatic. It's not automatic that it's what God wants us to do. We're still sinners. We still get things wrong. And, and I think it's incredibly dangerous, particularly for pastors and church leadership, to begin to think that everything we do is just automatically what God wants, uh, and that everything we do has God's stamp of approval on it. That is, that is a dangerous place to be. It's a very dangerous place to be. You know, I, I say often to you guys that when I'm up here and I'm preaching, um, I, it, it's, it's, a very, um, it, it's a very sacred thing. It's, it's a very, I would say, a, a holy thing. And I, I don't mean that in a way of like, listen to me. But I mean like, like I'm, I'm scared about it. I, I'm nervous about it. I'm very concerned about what I say because I say, hey, when I'm standing up here, like I'm kind of standing talking for God in a way, and like, that's serious. 
I can't just get up here and give my opinions, or I ought not get up here and just give my opinions, right? I need to say what God has said. I need to say, bring it to bear on issues in life and apply it, but it, it better be what, what God says, because I'm kind of standing up here taking that position. Um, and, and so that's something I'm, I'm very aware of in my role as a preacher and in my role as a pastor. Uh, and it's something Micah and I talk a lot about, or I talk a lot about it, and Micah kind of sits and nods. Uh, when I say, hey, just because we're doing something, that doesn't mean God automatically is on board. And one of the things I, I say to Micah and I say to our elders, I say, look, God does not need our church to exist for his kingdom to advance. He doesn't. Okay? I sure hope our church continues to exist. I sure hope he uses us to help his kingdom advance. But our kingdom, sojourn's kingdom, and God's kingdom are not necessarily the same thing. And, and I, I say all that to kind of bring up this idea that churches need to send because of this. I think there is absolutely a way when churches and Christian ministries become more concerned with building their own kingdoms than God's kingdom. And we become more concerned with building our own ministries. And the dangerous part is that we get there, but we assume God's on board with it, right? We assume, hey, God, God's just fine with this, all right? And, and one, of the, one of the implications of that that I wanna point out is that when we're more concerned with building our own kingdom than God's kingdom, I think we often adopt um, what, what sometimes we refer to as a scarcity mindset, okay? That when it comes to our resources, uh, and particularly our people, we develop a scarcity mindset, meaning we, we hold on really tight and we're very, very hesitant to let go, okay? Uh, and, and so I want us to go back to the text, all right? And I want us just to think for a minute, all right, about who Barnabas and Paul were, okay? These are, these are already two incredible leaders in the church uh, you'll remember a few chapters ago, remember they, they took the offering because of the famine that was prophesied. Uh, and, and so when we read in verse 25 that Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they completed their service, that's what they did. They took that money down to the church in Jerusalem. Okay, so these were men of integrity. They trusted them with the money. Uh, leaders in the church, they're teaching. Remember Barnabas went and got Saul to bring him to Antioch to teach and to train up the new believers there. I mean, these are like, I mean, these are superstars, for lack of a better term, right? And, and now they're at a point where they're like, okay, Lord, what's next? What are we doing next? We're here in Antioch. We, you know, we know Peter's had his vision for Cornelius, but like, what's the next move? And they're, they're waiting to hear from the Lord. They're praying and they're fasting. And the Holy Spirit says, well, the next move is send Paul and Barnabas out. Let them leave your church. And it's like, oh, for how long? I'm not telling you that part. Okay, all right. Are they ever gonna come back? I'm not telling you that part. Okay, great. Um, they're probably gonna need some money. Who's gonna give that? You are. You see, you see how this process is working? It, it's not just that Barnabas and Paul go out, but a church had to send them, right? And this, this is a young church in Antioch, right? I mean, all, all the churches in the Roman world were young they didn't have a lot of established leaders. They didn't have a lot of established teachers. They didn't have a ton of resources, I, I wouldn't think, not at this early point in their history. And yet, God says, we need to send them out. We need, we need to let these brothers go because I, for the mission to go forward, they gotta go. They gotta go. One of the things I've written down in my notes was like, can you imagine what Barnabas and Paul's community group was like, right? Incredible. I have them as your leaders. It'd be like our Sunday school class, if you're old school, right? You're like, man, 
And then it's like, hey, they're going to leave. It's like, what? No, they're not. <laughs> they can't leave. They can't leave. Right? It's Paul. Like, he's given me the New Testament before it's on paper. Like, he can't leave. He has to stay. And it's really easy to think about all the incredible things the church at Antioch was going to do. Right? And, and how big they might have gotten and what their influence may have been. But that's not the mindset at all. Right? The Spirit says, I need Paul and Barnabas, and, and they send them out. Open hands, right? And rather than having a scarcity mindset, right, they have a generous mindset. And they're like, hey, all the resources God's given us, including our people, they're his. They're not ours. And, and we are gonna, we're going to send them out. We're going to be open and obedient to what God has called us to do. Here's the reality. When we send people out, when churches send people out, it's typically their best, okay? It's not, it's not, it's not like the, you know, I don't want to rank everybody this morning, right? You can do that yourself later on. Um, but, right, it, it's the best, right? It's the people who are already doing the things that, that the mission of God needs. It's people who are already teaching, already discipling, already preaching, already sharing their faith, right? People who are already serving, already have character and, and humility and a servant's heart, right? It's people that you love, Right? You're most dear, you're most beloved. The people you think our church really can't do without those people. And those are typically the ones the Lord says, Yeah, them. I, somebody else needs them more than you. And, and here's the thing if the mission's going to go forward, churches have to send. They have to send. And they have to have a mindset. We have to have a mindset that says, Hey, we need to send people out. And that means, this is kind of for our, our elder team and church leadership. You guys just get to listen in. It means we need to provide on ramps for people who are exploring God's call in their lives. Right? And have an openness to what the Holy Spirit might do in the lives of people. And I'll just remind us, because again, we think of Paul and he's Paul, right? And it's like, well, of course, Paul. But remember now, I mentioned this timeline before, but we're now 13 years after Paul's conversion. So it's, he's had some preparation time. Um, but remember when he was first converted, nobody wanted to be around him. Christians wouldn't even be in the same room. They were all scared of him, they thought he was going to arrest him and kill him. Okay? No one had any idea who Paul was going to become. All right? And I think that that's such a, a reminder and a warning to us when, when people start to talk to us about going into ministry. Because I know sometimes, me, I can think, you're probably not cut out for ministry, friend. Right? <laughs> like, I can kind of think that. I, think, uh, I don't know if that's the right call for you. That ought not be our attitude. right? Our attitude, um, we should tell people the truth. We should be honest with people and, and help them see weaknesses in their lives. But we need to provide on-ramps. We need to provide opportunities for folks who might sense the Lord doing something in their hearts. So churches need to send. Second thing we need to see is that Christians need to contend. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I do want us to see um, kind of this initial, the, the first place they go in verses 4 through 12. Um, and, and I think there's really two things I want to say about this. One, when Christians go out on mission, we will always face opposition, okay? So as soon as these guys go out, immediately opposition, right? Immediate. And this is, this is going to be a theme. Every, every place they go to, there's going to be opposition that rises up. Like the Lord moves and there's opposition, okay? And this is just a pattern that we see. Uh, the opposition is this guy named Bar-Jesus. Uh, and then you probably noticed there that Luke gave us his name in Aramaic. And if you knew Aramaic, then you would just know that it means sorcerer. That's what it means, that's why, he's, that's why he said it that way. He says that's what it means. We didn't know that. Um, but it is uh, sorcerer. Here, the ESV, you probably read it, said the magician. 
Uh, sorcerer probably gets more the idea of, of what we would think of on the, on the kind of dark side of things. Uh, but he's opposed. He's opposed to Paul and Barnabas. By the way, you probably also noticed Luke changed Saul's name to Paul. So from henceforth, we can just call him Paul. Praise the Lord. I'm excited about that change. He's just Paul. We don't have to refer back to him as Saul's anymore. Um, so they're out. And, and it centers around the proconsul, who's he's kind of the governor of the area. He's the authority. And he hears about Paul and Barnabas, and he, he wants to hear. He's like, hey, I, I want to hear. I want to hear what these guys have to say. Uh, and this, this sorcerer, Bar-Jesus, is having none of it. And he's trying to oppose them. Uh, he's he's uh, trying to lead the proconsul astray, lead him away from the faith is explicitly what uh, what Luke says in verse 8, uh, but Paul, as, as you probably already know, was having none of it, uh, and in verse 9, we're told that filled with the Holy Spirit, he looks at Bar-Jesus and says, you son of the devil. As I've said before, Paul did not mince words. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Uh, there's a whole lot that if we had more time, I'd say about how the enemy uses deception and tries to twist the truth all the time. We've talked about those things before. We'll have the opportunity to talk about them again. Uh, but that's what Bar-Jesus was doing. Uh, and, and what we see Barnabas and Paul doing is contending, right? They're contending for the faith that as they, as they go out, as they meet opposition, they're, they're ready for it, right? They're ready to respond and ready to speak the truth into what the enemy was trying to use for deception and, and, and you know, to kind of uh, to spread deceit and lies and confusion about the message and the gospel, and, and Paul just says none of it. So, uh, so we see that piece that as we go out, we're gonna face opposition. And then the other thing I want us to see is that we see an example and a demonstration both of God's power and of uh, sound and compelling teaching, power and teaching. And I'll just say, we need both. We need both. For some reason in the church, we can kind of pit those things against each other. And it's like, well, we need the spirit to move in a powerful way. Yes, we do. And it's like, no, we need like sound teaching. It needs to be compelling and, and that. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we need, we need both. <laughs> we need both. And we have both here. Look with me at verse 12. Then the proconsul, so after, after Bar-Jesus is blind and then Paul is able to speak with him, the, the end is, then the proconsul believed. And then Luke gives two reasons for his belief. When he saw what had occurred, meaning he saw Paul confront Bar-Jesus and he saw him get blind and he was like, whoa, like that's something. But notice this, for he was astonished, not at the power of the Lord, at the teaching of the Lord. You see that? He was astonished at the teaching. So Yes, he's also, I think, astonished by the power, right? He's also like, whoa, like, Bar-Jesus can't see anymore. That's, that's something, right? So that, that would have got his attention. But then after that, after, after Bar-Jesus leaves and, and Paul and Barnabas have the audience, they teach, right? They, they begin to teach him the gospel and they, and they show him who Jesus is and how he's the Messiah and they kind of walk him through. And he's amazed at the teaching. And he believes because of both, right? The demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit alongside the faithful teaching of the gospel. And I would, again, I just remind us, we, we need both. We don't have to pick. We don't have to choose. 
between one or the other. We need, we need both. We need the spirit to move and power and do what we can. And we, we, need, we need right teaching. Okay, so Christians need to contend. The last thing I want us to see, and, and this is where we'll spend the rest of our time, people need to go. People, if the mission of God is gonna move forward, we, we need churches who will send. Uh, and we need, when, when people go, they need to contend for the faith, but, but people need to go. Um, so I want us to see, if we go back to the first part of chapter 13, Barnabas and Paul are called out by the Holy Spirit to go to the Gentiles. They, they, have, they have a very unique experience, right? Uh, so you've got uh, all these Guys, uh, Luke gives us several names. They're, they're all together. They're worshiping the Lord. They're fasting. And then we're told that the, that the Holy Spirit says, and it, he puts it in quotes, so I assume this is audibly, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Uh, and so we're, we're seeing this incredible moment. Um, notice that, again, they're in prayer and they're fasting. We, we've seen again and again throughout Acts, right, that right before God moves, like God's people are praying. They're praying and they're asking the Lord to move and God honors that request so we, we see it again. But as we think about going and we think about what happens here, you know, there's a sense in which here at Sojourn and just in, in, the, in the church world today in general, you know, we talk about, I mentioned before, we talk about mission a lot. We talk about being on mission and we talk about how every person is, is on mission in a sense, right? All of us have, have a calling on our lives and, and we have the opportunity to go out and live uh, in our place, wherever we are. For most of us, that's at work. Some of us, it's at home. Some of us, it's as students in school. But like we, we, have, we have a place, a mission field, we sometimes say, and we're, God, and we're on mission. And that, that is true. And I, I don't want to say anything against that. But what I do want us to see uh, is that that's not really what's going on here. What's going on here is something a little bit different. It's something a little bit unique. It, it is a calling for Paul and Barnabas to go beyond where they currently were, right? Beyond where they presently were and to go somewhere else geographically and to do a new work. Uh, as we follow the life and ministry of Paul, there, there are kind of two roles that he fulfills simultaneously because he's Paul, um, and that's, that's just who Paul was, uh, that, that the church has come to recognize. One is that he was a missionary, okay? And the other is he was a church planner, okay? So Paul was a missionary because he was taking the gospel to new contexts, new geographical locations, new cultural locations that had not yet heard the gospel before. And he was taking it to those people. And so he was moving away from his home, right? He's going to a new place, sharing the gospel. We typically call those people missionaries. And then, uh, I've mentioned before, Paul has a pattern. Once he shares the gospel and people come to faith, he starts a church. Every city he's in, he starts a church. So Paul was also a church planner. He's a missionary and a church planner. And, and as I think... And as we think about the mission of God going forward, yes, there's a sense in which we're all on mission. And yes, there's a sense in which we need to, to be living out our faith in real and tangible ways where we are. But if, if all of us just work normal nine to five jobs and did that, like the mission wouldn't really go forward the way we see in the New Testament. Some of us, God is gonna call to do something more. 
right? Some of us, God is going to call to go out and to be missionaries or church planters, okay? And so that's, that's what I wanna talk a little bit about this morning. Um, and, you know, I thought a lot about, about this because, like, you know, most of us in the room are not gonna be missionaries or church planters. I'm like, do I really talk to everybody about this? And I think, yes, yes, I think we should talk about it. Uh, and I'll tell you why as we go along. Uh, so the way I wanna talk about it, I wanna talk about three barriers that people feel towards going, okay? There are more than that, but I wanna mention, I think, the big three. Uh, and then some questions for all of us to consider about what the Lord might, might have for us. So uh, let's, let's talk about barriers to going. The first barrier that I think everyone feels is inadequacy, okay? I am, I am inadequate to go on any kind of, of this kind of a mission, right? Whether it's even a short-term mission trip, if, okay, or, or especially like, like my life, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm not, I can't do that. I, you know, I haven't been to seminary, maybe you haven't even been to college, you're like, you know, I, I haven't even read through the whole Bible. I've memorized like two verses and one of them is John 3, 16, right? Like, I, it's, that's not me. I'm, I can't do it. Um, a couple of things that I would say in response to that. One, uh, as we already mentioned, this is 13 years after Paul was converted, right? He, he didn't come to faith and immediately go on the missionary journey, okay? But there, there was a, there was a a 13 years long period of preparation, and really it was his whole life that God had been preparing him, but, but he has an extended period of preparation before he is sent out on this phase of his life. The other thing I would say, there's an old saying, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard it. God does not call the equipped, but he equips the called. You guys heard that before? If you've heard it before, it's because it's true. It's true. When God, I mean, you, you go read the Old Testament. When God calls people, none of them are ready, basically, okay? None of them are ready. And none of them, for the most part, want to do it. Like Abraham didn't really want to follow God. He wasn't ready. Moses definitely didn't want to follow God. He wasn't ready. Gideon did not want to follow God. Even when he followed God, he wasn't following God, right? Like he was all over the place. Some people, like Samson, really never even followed God, and God still used him, okay? Uh, now, look. If, if you're thinking about role models, maybe not Samson, like maybe, maybe more Moses, less Samson. But the point is, like no one's ready. God doesn't show up and say, okay, here's the new plan for your life. And you go, Lord, amen. Like I've just been waiting. I've been waiting for you to ask me to move to New Guinea. I've just, just been waiting. Praise the Lord, finally. Like that's not, none of us, none of us are in that place where we're like, okay, God, I'm ready for you to just totally shake my life up. Um, but that's not how God works, right? Like God, God shakes us up and then says, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead you through it. So we, we can feel inadequate, but in our inadequacy, we, we remember his strength is made perfect, right? That's, that's who he is. And, and by the way, I'll, I'll now come back in on the other side and say that we can feel inadequate even if we're not gonna go be a missionary or church planner, right? We can feel adequate to just open up our mouths and talk about Jesus at work, Okay. And, and the Lord can provide the same strength that he gave, the same spirit that was with Paul and Barnabas is with you. He provides. Uh, a second barrier that I see, um, and this one stings a little more, um, is a loss of the American dream. I think that's another real barrier to people going. It's a loss of the American dream. Uh, now, what is the American dream? Um, I think there are basically two components 
Uh, Again, there's a whole lot more that we could say, but I think the basic idea of this uh, is that one, that you would achieve a better financial life than your parents had, right? That's kind of the hope and the dream of America, okay? It's how generational wealth gets built. Um, but, but most of us, okay, when, when we grow up, like our baseline for what a normal life ought to look like is whatever we had as a kid, right? That's the only life we ever knew. And so it's like, okay, I, knew, I know what that looked like. And wherever it was, maybe it was really great financially, maybe it was terrible, maybe you were middle class, I don't know. But wherever it was, most of us kind of had the baseline starting point of, well, I'd like to do a little better than that, okay? So I, I would like to have a little better financial life and all that that means, all everything that's attached to finances. I'd like to have a little better life than, than I had growing up. And then secondly, that you set your children up to have an even better life than you had, right? You set your children up for a better life than you had. And, and I think those two pieces, right, in a nutshell are essentially what the American dream is, is all about. Uh, and you probably noticed that as I talked about those, that both of them are explicitly tied to money, right? They're explicitly tied to money. And it's not necessarily that money is at the, the center of it. Like, my, my whole goal is to, is to get more money. We say things like, well, my goal is a better life or a more comfortable life or I set my kids up better that I can pay for their college or, you know, we, we put a whole bunch of words around it. Um, but, but at the end of the day, like, it's, 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 you know, it's kind of tied to money. Um, and, and, and so... <clears throat> Uh, one way or another, your goals are going to be to have more money, right? Like, that's just kind of the way it is. Now, why do I say you have, to, you have to lose that dream or you have to die to that dream? Well, it's pretty simple. Um, if you're going to be a church planner or you're going to be a missionary, um, if, you, if no one's told you this before, I'm going to break it to you. You're not going to do it for the money, right? You're not going to do it for the money. Um, you're going to have to fundraise for starters, Okay. Um, and, and, you know, uh, ask someone who has, has been a church planner before, when you fundraise, particularly for a nonprofit and particularly as a Christian, you don't set out and say, what's, what's like the most money I can live on and still like be a pastor and not have people look at me weird. That's like, nobody thinks that way. Everyone thinks, what's the least amount of money we can do it on, right? What's, like, what, what's the absolute minimum, okay? And if you're a missionary in another country, like, it's even, it's even more so. Like, what's, what's the minimum amount of money that we can scrape by on, and, like, what's the maximum number of years we can get by on that? That's kind of the financial equation. And, and look, the good news is that God is faithful, right? He's so faithful. He provides so much. Um, Esther and I often remark about how we feel like our life is so much marked by God's blessing and his abundance, um, particularly materially, even though we don't know how it's happened because, you know, we haven't made like a ton of money, but the Lord has provided for us amazingly well. Um, But the reality is, is that when you you say, I'm gonna go and I'm I'm gonna totally give, my life to the Lord in, in this kind of way, like you, you just kind of realize it's kind of out of my control how much money we're gonna have. And it, it's kind of out of control how much money my kids are gonna have. That's hard. It's hard, right? Um, because you're really just saying, Lord, it's in your hands because I've, I'm, I'm kind of taking it out of my hands. I'm gonna take myself out of like the, the 
the corporate ladder and the career path where I work my way up and I, I, you know, I, I make more and more money and, and kind of the, the way most people do it. You just kind of take yourself out of that uh, and you put yourself in a whole different financial paradigm. Um, and I think for a lot of people, that's, that's too much. That's too, that's too much to lose. It's too much uncertainty, too much risk, too much at stake. We can't do it. And, and what I want us to see this morning, uh, you know, it's interesting because as Christians, like, we've already given control of our lives to Jesus, right? Like, theoretically, we've already said, Lord, everything I have is, is yours. But even then, we kind of understand there are levels to that, right? There are levels to actually giving away control. And that, that as we get older and we understand more about what that means, it's like, oh, I, you want that too? Like, you, 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 want, you, want, you want that bank account? You want you want that part of my life? You, and it's like, yeah, I do. So I, I think there's a loss of the American dream. And then one more thing is that there's a loss of personal freedom and autonomy. Um, when you go for the sake of the kingdom, you're putting major limits on your potential for self-autonomy and freedom. You know, our culture, maybe even more than it values money, values autonomy and freedom, right? That, that, that you would be in maximum control of your life, okay? Our, everything in our society is set up for you to achieve that. And, and, and our culture gets most upset when that gets infringed upon in, in any way. And you see it politically all the time on the right and the left, right? My, my rights are being taken away, or sometimes we say freedoms. If you're, on, if you're on the left, it's my rights. If you're on the right, it's your freedoms, right? But those things are being taken away from me. Uh, and what, what we're typically really saying is we're just losing some freedom and autonomy, and we don't, we don't like that because everything we've seen says that that's good. Uh, it, but when you go, right, you're really laying those things down, and you're really, again, saying, Lord, my life's in your hands. I, I'm going to have to depend on you in ways that, like, I didn't, didn't know, I didn't think. And you're explicitly redefining what the good life is, right? You're explicitly saying the good life is, is not the American dream. The good life is not me gaining more and more freedom and autonomy and control over my life, but actually it's, it's giving it away. It's, it's losing it. Say, I'm going to have less and less control and freedom and autonomy in my life. So I, I think for, for those three reasons, there are others. I think those are all barriers to going. I think those are barriers to going. And, and I think, um, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying to anybody specifically in the room, I'm, I'm just talking in general. Those are, those are hard things to get past. Those are hard things to get past. And I think for, for many of us, uh, we probably never even getting around to honestly asking God the question of what he might be calling us to because we can't imagine getting past that stuff. We can't imagine opening our hands that much and saying, oh my gosh. So, some questions to consider for us this morning. Some questions, in light, in light of all that, in light of our text, in light of the mission going forward, some questions to consider. And, and I'm, I'm saying, these questions are in light of where you are right now. In light of, of me knowing, hey, most of us, like that's, that's not who we are. We're not, we're not gonna be called to be vocational pastors. We're not gonna be called to church plant. We're not gonna be called to go overseas, be missionaries. Um, but if we know that's the plan, like if we know that's what God's doing, we still have a role, right? We still have a part to play. So three questions for us to consider. First, 
How am I currently engaging and supporting people in my life who have gone? Okay, how are you currently engaging and supporting people in your life who have gone? Um, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you probably know people, right, who, who have gone. They've gone and they've planted or they're missionaries overseas. Some of you, their pictures are hanging on your refrigerator at home, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Um, and so it's, it's just, it's, it's a great opportunity to ask the question, like, how are we supporting them? How are we praying for them still? Are we given financially or are we, are we encouraging them? Like if you're actual friends with them, it's not just like a, you know, they came and talked at your church one time, but you actually know them. I mean, what a gift that you can encourage them with friendship uh, and communication and, and like be able to text them or call them or FaceTime them and say, hey, like, man, we read a passage in church. I was just thinking about you this morning. Man, could, oh, what's going on? How's it going, man? Right, God's people, we, we need that. We can encourage people that way. So you have people in your life who have gone. How are you currently supporting and encouraging them? A second question, all of us knew we were gonna ask this one, right? What is God, what is God saying to you? Is God calling you to something else? Um, it's not like I wanna lose any of our people, right? I love all you guys. I don't want right? But we talked about how churches have to send, and part of church's sending is just saying, Hey, our people need to ask the question from time to time, God, am I still doing what you want me to do with my life? Like, we need to ask that question every now and then and just say, God, am I, am I doing what it is you want me to do with my life? Or do you have something else, okay? That's a scary question to ask. It's a scary question to ask because the truth is we don't know what God's gonna say, okay? We don't, we don't really know. And so that's a scary question to ask. And so I think, it's appropriate for us to ask it every now and then, particularly when it comes up in the text, right? It's appropriate to ask and say, all right, Lord, my life, what's going on right now? And again, for most of us, I think, you know, odds are percentages. The answer's gonna be, hey, you're right where I want you to be. Keep on keeping on. But you know, there might be one of us, two of us, I don't know. And the Lord's saying, hey, you know, I want you to start thinking and praying about something else. I don't know what that is. Maybe, maybe you need to talk to, to me or Micah or one of our other pastors and just say, hey, I want you to pray for me. I'm thinking about something here. And then one more question. I think this is the hardest one to ask for parents. What's God calling my children to do? You know, when we're faced with a text like this and we're, we're staring the reality in the face and we know it's true, right? I mean, I don't think there's a lot of debate about this. Um, it's one thing for us to ask the question for ourselves, right? And to say, all right, Lord, my life. It's my life. I can make my own choices, right? But it's something else to ask it for our kids and to say, God, what do you want my kids to do with their lives? And I think for most of us, this, this is actually where it's gonna mean more. Be, because um, it's really hard for you, like, we're all in the middle of our lives here. Like, it would take a lot for you to have a total life change. But your kids, they haven't started their lives yet. They're just full of dreams and, and hopes, and, and frankly, they're full of a lot of what you tell them to be full of, right? Like, who's the one who puts the dreams in their minds and in their hearts? Who are the ones who, who shape those and stir those and tell them, these are the things you ought to be thinking about. These are the things you ought to, you ought to push for. This is, this is the life I want you to have. 
all of us as parents, we have dreams, we have hopes, we have goals, we have aspirations for our kids. Again, that's part of the American dream. We want a better life for them. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. I want the same thing for my kids. And yet, how, how are we defining better? How are we defining better? Does it mean they go into a better university than you or get a better job than you or a more secure company or a better house or a better car or a better retirement? Or does it mean that their faith is bigger than yours, that it's stronger than yours, that they're willing to take more risks for the kingdom than you were? Man, I, I want that to be true of me and my children. It's, it's hard. It's hard, but I think it's important, those of us who are parents, to ask that question, what God might be calling my kids to, and am I, am I really open with my kids? Am I open with everything to say, Lord, whatever, whatever, I want to be a part of your mission. Here in a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table, and um, we're going to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. And uh, we, we take communion every week, and it's one of my favorite parts about our church. And we're reminded when we come to the table that Jesus was the very first person to go. You know, he was the very first person to go on the mission that God the Father had for him. And he laid down everything. He laid it all down. He emptied himself, Colossians tells us. Taking on the form of a servant became, becoming like us in every way, Hebrews says, yet without sin. Jesus came to earth and he gave everything, even his life, so that you and I could be rescued, so that we could be saved, so that we could be brought into God's plan, brought into his family, adopted as sons and daughters. And now, because of what Christ has done for us, we have the opportunity to join, right? We have the opportunity to jump in to what God is doing and to be a part of the mission. For many of us, that means right here where we are in Beaumont in Southeast Texas, and that's fine. We need people here. Lord knows we need people here. But for some of us, for some of us, I, it means something else. And, and, and what I hope for our, I hope, I hope a few things. I hope our church will be a place that cultivates and encourages and sends people out, right? And I hope our families will be a place where we say, son, daughter, what it means for you to live a successful life is to love Jesus with everything you have and do whatever he calls you to do. Whatever that means, no limitations on that one. You go anywhere and do anything for the kingdom, right? Because that is what God has done for us. Let's pray.